0: This is Real World Product Management. Hello, everyone. My name is Vlad. You're probably watching this or listening to this, um, recording both the video and the audio separately. So it could be a podcast and a YouTube video. I am a host and the author of the Real World Product Management podcast. I started it in March 2020, right in the middle of a pandemic to sort of yeah, technically, to sort of cope with uh, pandemic and the whole thing, and um, I the podcast was uh, pretty had a pretty good run. We did fifteen episodes. I uh, almost always, except for the first and the last. Actually, no, scratch that. Except for the one uh, first episode uh, where I was doing things solo. I believe every single episode after that. Had someone, one or two people, um, as guests. This is me trying to restart the podcast, trying to um, sort of restore and continue the work I was doing, and um, other people were participating in. Uh, almost exa- exactly a year after I start, after I stopped doing it, last episode went out June seventeenth. Uh, I'm recording this on June seventh, uh, exactly a year after. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, as I, like I said, I'm not just restarting it as if nothing happened. I've learned a lot. I've seen a lot of uh, things uh, noted a lot of feedback. so I'm doing a lot of things differently. I'm gonna try a lot of new things. previous 15 episodes. let's let's go to the season one. I did mostly in the same canvas, same uh, approach, same, you know, hey, this is the guest. they uh, had something to tell us. Uh, we'll listen to the story uh, that the guest is telling us, and then we ask questions. Kind of sort of like an interview, but not exactly. I'm gonna try doing different things from now on, maybe make it shorter. I remember some of the episodes ran for almost an hour and a half. I'm looking to record more episodes, but they potentially gonna be shorter. So we're looking at 20, 30, 45 minute episodes, but maybe you know, once a week, twice a week sometimes. Uh, we'll see how it goes no promises but I'm gonna to try to do different things I'm gonna try doing live videos try leveraging community a lot more through the last year uh, the company I was um, I'm still working for by the way. Uh, we've built an amazing community of people, an amazing community of product managers. A lot of them have tremendous amount of experience, huge lists of things they were able to achieve and they were able to accomplish. So hopefully I'll be able to uh, drag some of them kicking and screaming uh, onto this podcast. I know some of them were interested. Unfortunately, I was not available to continue the podcast, but hopefully now we'll, um, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to work on that. Additionally, the community on Reddit, which is what prompted me to start the uh, the podcast in the beginning, uh, the community on Reddit began to be a lot more active. I've seen a lot of interesting people. I've seen a lot of interesting thoughts. One of the uh, one of the cornerstones of this podcast was the guests should not agree with the host, or host does not always agree with the guest, and that's what makes the conversation interesting. That's what I'm seeing on in the community. So I'm hoping to drag in more people from Reddit. Uh, product management subreddit. Uh, see if we can give them a platform to express their opinions. I'm um, actually, if I'll have time today, I'll try to talk about one of those topics that were discussed that piqued my interest. Again, like I said, no promises. We'll uh, we'll see how this uh, how this is gonna go. And we're still, you know, in and we're still in COVID p- pandemic. Uh, I'm not sure if it's called been called off or not. But uh, people are still cautious. I moved away from New York too. A whole different state, Uh, so being there physically may not be an option. So we'll try to leverage online collaboration tools that have gone. We don't really remember, but when I started working on the podcast again, I figured that hey, remember how last year we were struggling with, you know, doing the recording or bringing several people in and getting good quality uh, recording so we can uh, post it as a podcast. I remember going through. If Webex, uh, going through Teams, Zancaster, uh, Zoom. We've tried a lot of things. And it, surprisingly, it's gotten so easy now. Just a year after, a lot of online collaboration became um, almost like a non-issue. It, it used to be a lot harder, as far as I remember. That's the backstory, why what happened and why we're restarting the podcast. Podcast, as you remember, uh, called Real World Product Management. The goal, still the same, bring in a real world perspective on things that people who are close to product management and maybe just starting in product management, uh, they think that it's some kind of glorified position where you just tell other people what to do and they just hop hop to it and do it. Uh, We're trying to bring in the real world perspective on things. So having said all that, one of the things that I always wanted to talk about (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I know it sounds corny, but um, it is one of the things that I wanted to talk about, and I felt pretty strong about it. Are the top asked questions, uh, and um, we've done a number of online conferences of uh, the company I work for, um, and uh, there's a there's always a number of questions that come in and they basically divide it into two parts. One is tactical. So specifically about the topic is being discussed or a question about something somebody said during the presentation. And then there's a whole uh, set of uh, strategic, (laughs) kind of like strategic questions and they all start with one single question. How do I become a product manager if I am a blah, blah, blah. And that blah 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 can be literally anybody. If I'm a software developer, if I'm a business consultant, if I'm a BA, if I'm a UX designer, if I'm an experienced designer, uh, if I'm a janitor, how do I become a product manager? I had a slightly different opinion year last year, and we talked about it on some of the some of the episodes. The, that opinion has changed. Guess what? People do change their opinion. I know that's not really you know cool thing to do. Uh, everybody now has their opinion, and they're sticking to it. I don't. Uh, That's kind of (laughs) one of the things I bring to the table is um, I will make mistakes, I can make mistakes, I do make mistakes, and I um, try to fix them. And I try to, if if my opinion was a mistake or if I had to adjust my opinion based on facts, that absolutely will do that. One of the things that we did discuss uh, back in the early episodes was how do you become a product manager? Most of our product managers back then came from BA. Um, this is no, no longer the case. Uh, we are hiring off market. We're hiring from um, a lot of other sources. We do hire from experience design, UX design, business consultants. One trend that we've noticed, not in US, in some other geographies, is that uh, people are coming from being um, in, within the general management uh, sort of line of business, uh, manager of a bank, uh, you know, uh, CFO, Um, director of uh, operations, things of that nature. Apparently, uh, one thing is IT pays better. I, again, it's not a US, so situation is slightly different uh, in other countries. And another thing is that experience that they had in those roles helps them become product managers uh, around IT for software products. And um, it helps them get things moving, get things through because they have that business acumen, or they have that understanding of how things work in the business or the inter- in the enterprise, and it helps them get better at this job faster. If you compare someone who comes from BA background, they know very well how to write requirements, how, to, how software works, and how software is being built, but they have very little, if any, understanding of how business is conducted what is you know doing business how does that whole thing work and that's that's kind of the part where they struggle the most these people who are coming from other non it backgrounds but they have a lot of business acumen they'll have a lot of business knowledge they tend to be successful because they understand that overall big picture And they get very well positioned in terms of, hey, I know how the business works. Just tell me what I need to do to get from the, you know, one step to another to another in order to make things happen at the business level. So people do get very successful if they come from non-product or non-IT background, if they come with a business background. So how do you become a product manager? You learn, (laughs) you learn, I recommend reading and taking classes. I've conducted about 100 of, uh, about hundred interviews and assessments in the last year. So that year that I was not producing episodes, I was very heavily interviewing people. I was very heavily uh, participating in uh, product management assessments. So the difference between uh, interview and assessment is when the company hires someone from outside, from the market, it's an interview. If we want to promote someone from within, and our company does that a lot, um, we run an assessment, so it's kind of like an interview, but it's internal interview. It's a different format. It's a lot harder, believe it or not. It's a lot easier to be interviewed and uh, uh, get an offer uh, if you're on the market than uh, it is to be to pass assessment and get uh, promoted internally. Uh, so I've heard of cases when people leave, would leave the company for a couple of years get a bit more experience and then uh, come in uh, sort of from the market instead of from within and um, get into the position they were unsuccessful in getting internally. Dirty little secrets. So a little bit about the interviewing and assessments. I'm going to kind of bundle them together because ultimately the goal of either interview or a set or an assessment is to understand your skill set, understand your uh, the, how does your mind work, right? How do you think? And are you suitable for this position? And sometimes we hire for a specific position. Sometimes we hire uh, because we know we will get positions in the specific uh, area, specific knowledge domain. Very rarely we stumble upon uh, someone who's a generalist, somebody who can be put into almost any role, aside from very specialized. Give you an example. I'm not like a super perfect generalist, but with with my experience, my uh, my set of skills, I can be put in general finance, healthcare, retail, telecom very a uh, general software enterprise software like there's a set of domains that i can fit because i'm a generalist but if you want to me if you want me to work on a very specific domain uh for example clinical trials within life sciences i'm not your guy because i don't have a sufficient depth of knowledge in that area or for example, if you want me to work on something that's very consumer oriented, and requires a lot of graphic design background or industrial design background, even though I may manage, but I'm not gonna be a good fit because I lack those, specifically those design, industrial design or graphic design skills that would be preferable than a candidate for the role like that. So like I said, uh, it's really rare that you get generalists uh, off the market or internally but they do exist, and we try to maintain kind of a healthy balance. So, and, and the trick is interviewing a specialist, uh, interviewing a specialist is easier than interviewing a generalist because uh, with a specialist, you know specific their specific domain knowledge, a couple of domains, and you can kind of either drill deeper into that area or you can kick them out of that area really easy and. Uh, kind of take them out of their comfort zone and make them think in terms of pure product management, pure product methodologies, uh, without relying on uh, existing experience. Uh, with the generalists, it's harder because they've seen so many things. They've seen so many different things based on different domains. It's hard to get them out of their comfort zone. Um, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but I would generally break down the interviewing assessment. Again, doesn't really matter into two pieces. I probably want to talk more about the interviews because generally public don't get assessment. general public gets interviews when they're trying to get into um, new work. and I have been on both sides of, of the table. I have been the interviewee and I am an interviewer a lot. I have the, I have gone to interview for the, for other roles. Uh, Because I want to understand what else is happening on the market and how people interview for this role. Obviously, early in the days uh, during the pandemic, uh, there were all kinds of things were going on. I haven't interviewed for about a year, but I don't think a lot of things change in terms of the interview methodologies. The acceptance rates have fallen, but uh, the methodologies are most likely the same. I don't think they've changed in a year. So there are two types of interviews a product manager will go through when they are applying for a product manager role. And I want to make sure we're talking about product managers, not product owners. There's an interesting split in the product owner roles. There's a product owner uh, as an agile role, which is a team member of the agile team. It could be a senior lead BA, developer, somebody who understands uh, whole concept of thing or capability or feature or whatever team is working on, and they represent the team in uh, as, as, as they are a team's representative. And they they uh, work with other teams and with the product management office. Then there's another tr- uh, meaning to the term product owner, and that is a very senior person, kind of like a business owner in the sense. But they so because they own the product, everybody tends to call them product owner. Uh, And they are senior, usually senior executive uh, at the program or even higher uh, level where they tend to make business decisions about the product. And it could be senior executive, director level. They also get to be called product owner. We used to ask this question. We still do sometimes. But I'm trying to phase it out. Because, especially in the interviews, in the assessments, is different. But in the interviews, uh, it's really easy to fall uh, into uh, this trap of what is this specific company is calling a product owner? Are they calling product owner a person who sits with the developers and gets the and writes their user stories, or are they calling a product owner a I don't know, executive director of operations who makes calls about, hey, hey, this product is going to do this in three years. Boom, go. So that's the trap. Like I was saying, there are two levels of the interview. One is the peer interviews where you get interviewed by delivery manager, project manager, program manager, and obviously uh, your fellow product managers who are tend to be on your level, maybe you know a little high, a little lower, but generally they're your peers. And then there's an executive interview that's where your senior product owner or or your um executive director of operations come in and and interviews you and sometimes these occur at the same on the same day at the same time sometimes they're different hope for your sake they're different because it would suck to (laughs) to have both in the same time yeah and um what what are the questions, right? What are we expecting to see from fellow product managers, and what are we expecting to see from executives? Uh, what type of answers? Uh, sometimes they ask the same question. I I love it when it happens to me, because it allows me to leverage this understanding of the difference. But obviously, you don't have to love it. You can hate it if you if that's what you, if that's your thing. But. Um, sometimes we do ask questions like so how do you resolve the conflict in whichever form that a question is asked or how do you how do you approach building a roadmap um, again there's a number of ways to ask this question what type of questions are coming from fellow product managers and what kind of answers we expect to hear and ultimately what are we looking for in in the interviews well the questions that are coming from product managers are usually Trying to understand how much do you know uh, in terms of product mindset, in terms of uh, product management methodologies, in terms of building, cre- creating, and using product management uh, artifacts. A lot of times we're seeing a resume that looks like the person is next Bill Gates or next Steve Jobs. The resume just screams, I'm a genius. And these usually make me very uneasy because I know something's up. Believe it or not, a perfect resume is not a recipe for success. It's more of a recipe for a little bit more scrutiny, I guess. So what happens is I uh, and, and I probably should uh, not talk about what other people are doing. I should probably only talk about what things that I do, not you know, my secrets are my secrets, their secrets are their secrets. So. We uh, when we interviewing usually there's one person who's leading the interview and then others kind of supporting them. So if I'm the I'm the interview lead, I do what I think is right. Others supporting me. If I'm not the lead, I look for c- clues from the interview lead and support them and their questions. That's usually how it works. So uh, if I'm the lead, if I'm asking the questions. I want the candidate to elaborate on some of the things that they've listed in the resume. Best thing uh, here, best thing I can ask is, what was your role, or, or what specifically you did uh, on this, um, you know, working on this product? Uh, there, are sometimes people would say, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this, and there's too many eyes. Although the interview is the time to brag, it is when you absolutely must leverage your knowledge, your expertise, you should brag, the interviews you time to brag. However, if you always say I, I suspect that you have done absolutely nothing by yourself. I expect everything, you, when you whenever you say I, you just wanted to say we, and then you know, consciously or subconsciously, you just think, like, oh, no, I can't say we, I have to say I, and I'm gonna say I, and you're saying I all the time. Ideally, you should say, hey, my team did this and my part in it was this. A good example would probably be, my team was working on this product. I sat down with a C CIO or CEO, we did the ideation. Uh, we came up with this idea. I did research. I talked to my developers. We came up with the POC, the proof of concept. Developers built technical prototype or UX designers or uh, UX folks. Uh, built this, you know, visual prototype, we looked at it, we liked it. I took it upon myself to create kind of like a high level roadmap. We dived dive into it with the teams, we broke it down into blah, 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 BAs or POs, wrote user stories, and the rest of history. That's the right thing to tell your story. But if you're going to say, I, and, and that's something I I did hear it, so it's not uh, it's not unusual to hear. I come came up with this idea. The CEO told me to go and look into this, and I came up with this idea. I wrote the requirements. I wrote all the user stories. I created wireframes. I did that. I nope nope no you didn't no you didn't nope no I'm sorry I don't believe you. Just I just don't. So um, another uh, another thing uh, that I've noticed a lot of companies started doing. I do it myself. I know others are. Is uh, Giving you an example, um, a sample product. No, I'm sorry, not a the sample product. As in, here's your sample product. If you were to build a Google Glass from the scratch, right? What would you do? How would you build it? How would you do it differently? Or if you were to build a system that should uh, track online usage of uh, something, something, how would you approach it? How would you do it? So those types of questions, technically, they're scenarios, right? You in good consciousness and if, if somebody's somebody who's interviewing you expects you to answer these questions correctly 100 percent of the time they're out of their mind you should not be working for the company like that uh, just my personal opinion but uh you should not be hitting 100 percent all the time you should be getting close but don't expect to be 100 i had a case when a fellow product manager interview who was interviewing me was basically trying to find out if I can configure a Google Ads platform for a specific client. I don't know why. I don't know what was the purpose of it. I don't know how much did he learn about me, but it didn't go well. Ultimately, a good interview should allow you as a product manager to demonstrate that you can operate uh, within the product mindset. You should be able to do a discovery. You should be able to do you know, get from uh, ideation through discovery, uh, through, you know, product vision, product strategy, product roadmap, define the MVP, define some kind of sort of preliminary plan, get to the point where you sh- where you able to demonstrate, you don't, you're not just, yeah, I know what the product lifecycle is, but you can navigate the product lifecycle. You know exactly what happens at each step of the way. Sometimes you may miss things because you're under pressure. Everybody understands that interviews are pressurized environments, but nobody in their right mind should be expecting you to hit the nail on the head 100% of the time. Ultimately, a good product manager should be able to leverage their existing experience, uh, where if you're brand new product manager, their knowledge. And if you don't know the answer to the question, that's normal. I'd be very I'd be very cautious about the person who knew all the answers to all the questions I'm asking. Here's a little dirty little secret. I don't know the answers to those questions. And if you know them, then you should be interviewing me or you should own the company I work for if you know all the answers to all those questions. Because the trick to it is not knowing the answers but showing how you get to the answer. To me, it's pretty obvious. If I'm asking you, so you 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 want to build a Google Glass, right? So yeah, I'm gonna reuse that example because I already uh, mentioned it. So you want to build a Google Glass? So you know who's your who's your target audience? So who are you gonna sell it to? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But if you tell me, oh, that's easy. Um, you know, all the hipsters, uh, or you know, all the vlogger vloggers or bloggers, or or Instagram or TikTokers. Well, maybe. I don't know. Prove it. Show me how you get how you got there. Show me that these these are the people who uh, will be able to pay for it, then we'll have a conversation. But using this example, instead of telling me, "Oh, all the vloggers, bloggers, the YouTubers, TikTokers," I want you to say things like, "Well, we're going to do I don't know. Um Pressure test a few hypotheses, like let's see if bloggers will like it. Let's see if travel bloggers, food bloggers, whatever. Let's see if um, military will like it. Let's see if, I don't know, somebody else will like it. Um, Doctors and clinicians, maybe there's other niches, but I want you to demonstrate the process. I want to see the process. I don't want to get 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 an answer right away. Your answer means nothing if it's not supported by something. There's a lot of talk about data-driven decisions. That's fine. You can you can do that. That's basically pressure testing hypotheses would be your data collected that you will use to inform the decision. Sometimes you go by a hunch. Sometimes you don't have enough data. In the enterprise world, with enterprise software products, especially in early stages of enterprise software products, you just don't get to have that data. You don't know you can make an educated guess. You can estimate. That's what happened to me early in my career with the company I work for. I was working on the enterprise product. I was launching it first time ever, uh, bringing it to the market. We had absolutely no idea how many companies there would be interested. We know each of our clients, each of the companies to a degree suffered from same problems that prompted my company, our company to uh, create this product. But we didn't realize how hard it would be to sell it. And it took us a few months to actually zero in on proper positioning on how do I talk about this product to my client? Just that part alone took a few months. And it's, it's really hard. So I, if, if, if I'm asking a question like that and you have an answer right away, uh, I don't know. I don't know. So to summarize, what are the questions from product managers? What are we looking for? Uh, what kind of answers we're expecting? We're expecting to see how you think. We're expecting to see how you would approach this problem. How would you try to solve it? What is your methodology? What are the tools? What are the ways of thinking? How do you how do you do this? Basically, I don't really care what the answer is, as long as you walk me to the, to getting to that answer, to, to getting it. Here's my process. Here's how would I approach this. I think I'm gonna get X as a result. Okay, let's assume that that's your result and move on with the interview, right? But if you just tell me, oh, it's gonna be whatever. I had I had a person uh, who were talking about uh, developing mobile application for a pretty wide audience, pretty large uh, set of people. And the person just straight up told us, nope, we're not doing Android. Uh, iPhone is the way, Android is a really insignificant share of the market. Uh, so we're not going to waste our time building anything for Android in the first couple of years of this product. We're just going to go ahead and uh, build iOS. And that was, for me, <laughs> that was pretty indicative of the way the person thinks. Uh, it's the person has all the answers. They don't have a methodology to get to those answers. They just know the answer by heart and they're giving it to you. So no, don't do that. Second part of uh, the interviewing and assessment, the executive interviews. Uh, we don't do executive interviews as part of the assessment, at least not that I'm aware of, at not, not at the level of product management, senior product managers, um, maybe higher, I don't know. Nobody told me. But um, executives are exactly the opposite. So, which is why I said it would really suck to have um, an executive and a product manager interview at the same time. You would be in a really bad position uh, unless you listen to me and I tell you what to do. Um, So executives want clarity. They exist in the world where things constantly break. The things, and I, I... here and I ask, I get, I get a chance to ask, what keeps executives up at night? And it's uncertainty. They're, uh, they're they they live and breathe by uncertainty. They, their whole, well, technically speaking, their, their whole existence is to make money for the company they work for. But what that means in, in the real world, is they are battling uncertainty. There's an uncertainty, there's a risk, and they try to address it. The more certainty they have, the better they feel, the better their projections come to reality. The more uncertainty they have, the worse they off, their projections don't meet the reality, things go bad. So with that said, when the the executive asks you questions, uh, they don't really want the process. At least, not to the same extent as the product managers. When the executive asks you a question, so tell me about the roadmap. My my, my answer to that is usually, well, I confer with the team, I work with the team, I communicate across multiple teams, get their feedback, co- kind of collect it all together, put it all together, make 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 a presentation for the whichever the. Uh, Forum, whichever the meeting is, to discuss it with the executives and present my findings, present the risks, present how they would affect the outcomes, uh, maybe propose a couple of what-if scenarios to make sure everybody understands why certain decisions are better, why certain decisions are worse, what should you do uh, if things happen. So to kind of sort of paint the bigger picture for the executive to help them make the informed decision you expect them to make. And I believe that's the biggest difference. The executive does not want to know your process. When you're thinking about executives, always think about your customers. They are effectively the same in a way that customer does not want to buy a drill. They want to buy holes in the wall. Same as with the executives. The executives don't want your process. They don't want you to sell them product mindset. They don't want you to sell them, uh, you know, JIRA, Jira versus uh, other tools or Confluence versus AHA or whatever. They don't care. Give them what they want. They want the information. They want clarity. They want to understand what are you doing today and what what's going to happen to the product in six months, 12 months, two years, three years, and so on. So that's probably... The biggest difference, and that's probably the biggest disconnect when people come in into the product management interview and they start talking to HR and they start talking to product management and then they start talking to executives, they tend to tell the the same or similar story and they tend to fail. And the reason why they fail is because you're the product and you're presenting it to different audiences. You're presenting your story to the users and then you present your story to the buyers. And it's always in product management when you're positioning your product, there are users and there are buyers. There are people who pay for it and there are people who use it. If you approach it from this perspective, you will immediately, again, if you're a product manager, you will immediately understand the difference and you will immediately change your pitch. Hopefully that helps. All right, um, one of the last things I want to discuss today, we see in interviews, in assessments, and in the real work, in in the work that we're doing for clients or in internal products, we see people either over leveraging or underusing using uh, certain artifacts, systems, solutions. Uh, one of the things I do wanna talk about is sometimes people get obsessed with tools. I remember a company spending well, literally a month deliberating which system to use. Should we use Jira? Should we use um, Microsoft product? I forgot what it's called, it used to be TFS. Should we use AHA? And guess what? They ended up not using anything, they ended up using Excel, but they spent the month talking about it. Why? Because they are obsessed with the tools instead of being obsessed with the process. I used to say this, I <laughs> I don't think it holds true anymore because of uh, reward from home, work remote, and all that jazz, but it holds true in a way that you can use online tools to that extent, but I used to used to say that my job as a product manager can be done with pen and paper. I don't need tools, I need a whiteboard. Obviously it's an exaggeration, uh, but it's a good exaggeration because I don't really need to use Jira. I don't really need to use, I don't know, aha. Uh-huh. I can draw, it would be very convoluted exercise and probably not really productive, but I can draw or write everything down on a piece of paper. I don't really need to use any of these sophisticated tools as long as my process is good, as long as my process helps me move things through. If my process is broken, no matter which tools I'm gonna use, it's not gonna help, nothing will get done. If my process is broken, I can use the most sophisticated, the best tools in the market, mind maps, Uh, mind reading applications, whatever, uh, AI systems with with predictive uh, analytics, nothing will help if your process is broken. So one of the things that we're seeing in the real world is people being obsessed with the tools instead of a process. I would actually argue that a good product manager should be good process enabler. If you come into the existing product, to work on the existing product, or if you're just starting and, and building a new product, one of the most important things to do is set up the right process. Time and time again, I am seeing, and my colleagues are seeing that if the process is wrong, no matter how good you are, no matter how talented your developers, no matter how talented your designers, no matter how great everybody is, Bad process will ruin everything. If you're if you're writing user stories, if you're building technology before you even looked at the product roadmap, or if you don't have a roadmap, if you don't have a process to review the roadmap because it's a living, breathing document, those developers will get upset. They get frustrated. They will leave you in like three to six months tops and you'll end up with bad developers, bad product roadmap, bad process. Back to square one. One of the things that we're seeing, um, and and as a matter of fact, uh, back to the interviewing to kind of circle back and tie it up, when um, we interview or when we do the assessments, one of the things we try to get from indirectly, because obvious direct questions prompts the obvious direct response, so we're trying to see if the candidate is actually thinking about it, is give us the plan of work. Let's say sometimes it's a plan how you plan to release the MVP. Sometimes it's a question of what is your personal plan for the next one to three months. But it's always a question about what is your plan to do X, Y, and Z for the product you're building. And part of the expected answer is, I wanna set up a process, a product development process. There's whatever your process, whichever methodology you subscribe to, it doesn't really matter i'm not going to judge you <laughs> or not none nobody's going to judge you unless they're they're religious about the particular unless they're religious about the particular framework or a particular approach and then you know anybody who's not using x process is you know not our not our candidate but you have to you have to you have to say the magic words <laughs> basically you have to say that uh, hey I want to make sure my process works. I want to make sure that you know we're doing whatever if, if we're doing agile, right? Then we have all the proper ceremonies for the product office to review the roadmap break down product the capabilities into features into epics but however your 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 hierarchy works and you do this and you review care you review regularly your business goals your okrs your whatever again depending on what your terminology is what what your concept is what your methodologies, methodology is but give me something that will f- make me feel better about you having a process to build the product actually actually which reminds me one of the uh, candidates I ever interviewed said something like, "Hey, we're gonna spend first first sixty days building a roadmap. Then we're gonna fix it in time. Write all the documentation. Uh, write all the product requirement documents. And we're gonna start building product." And I generally like my candidates. They're they're very smart people. It's just they just stressed. And I asked the candidate, "So, what's gonna happen if developers discover something?" that doesn't really fit your roadmap or isn't isn't in the product PRDs in the product requirement documents. And again, they responded, well, uh, this shouldn't have happened because we would uh, figure out everything as we write the PRDs. So there should be no no surprises or very, very minimal risk uh, because everything should be thought about um, up in advance. That didn't go well, anyway, which brings me, <laughs> As, as a final, final note, uh, brings me to the topic that I picked on Reddit because I promised we're going to leverage Reddit. And this whole podcast started off of me reading Reddit. Somebody came up, hopefully you know who you are and uh, you leave me a comment or something. Somebody came up with the topic on Reddit uh, about how, what's a good template for product requirement documents. I believe uh, the my, my, my biggest problem with the write-up was about 20 to, 10 to 20 percent of the document would be me talking about uh, what the product is and about 80 70 to 80 percent of the document is how to build how we're going to build the product all the uh, architecture design wireframes uh, technology technological specifications functional specifications very very detailed documentation from which then you can construct user stories my my concern was hey so so, so you just write this one document and people just can just take them and write user stories off of that one document. And the the author said something to extend of yes, this is you know a pretty self-sufficient documentation. They doesn't need anything aside from obviously design mockups ups and, and the UI UX component. And I said you do understand this is insane, right? You're gonna spend six months writing it and it's gonna be obsolete probably four four months in person disagreed with me, they, they had a completely different vision, which is why I'm bringing this up because I, I do want to give voice to people who disagree with me or I disagree with them. And one of the main concerns that, and, and it's actually happened to me more than once, specifically with pre or pre-recorded, pre-written PRDs before the beginning of the work on the product, is that they're obsolete the moment you start writing them. And here's why. Because you have set a certain vision in your head of how things should work. Allegedly you did some uh, research, you've done you you, you did some um, user experience testing I'm I'm giving you like all the benefit of a doubt, right? You did did do some discovery. The problem is in the real world building product is always gonna be a, a continuous discovery, continuous evaluation continuous reassessment of where we are, what we're doing, how are we solving, how are we solving an individual issue? If I, if let's say these PRDs were written in June 2020 when I stopped doing this podcast and I am here today in June 2021, it's not the case. I'm I'm giving you a hypothetical case. If I had a PRD written in 2020, Uh, And I start development in, I don't know, October, September, October, November, something like that. And uh, I am here today, one year after, not a single word of those PRDs will still hold true. How do I know that? Because it happened to me more than once. There's no way you can write anything if you're doing product development, if you're not doing Waterfall. If you're actually doing genuine product development and following one of the product development methodologies, there's no way in hell you can do this and survive. Either your product is dead, your PR, most likely your PRDs are dead, uh, but either your product is dead or your teams are dead or your product management team is dead, but most likely your PRDs are dead. Because most of what happen- usually happens in the real world, people tend not to read documents that are longer than a couple of pages. Someone actually, we we were working on the client's assignment and we gave them a playbook, product management playbook that was only 80 slides. It's not in a book, it's just slides. And each person had maybe 20 slides to look at. Uh, they didn't even have to read the whole thing. They could have just like flipped through, but their part was 15 to 20 slides. Not like 20, 20, 20, but there's an overlap. And, but at most each person needed to read 20 slides. And they told us straight there to our faces, nobody's gonna read the PowerPoint deck in 80 slides. And we're like, no, they will, because that's your job. And um, if you're writing a documentation to developers, if you're a product manager who's telling developers how to write code If they're good developers, they laugh in your face and they'll even work on another product. If they are bad developers, they're gonna listen to you and you're gonna end up with a mess of a product, if you're gonna get the product at all. Mm -hmm. And again, uh, I'm not trying to offend anyone. I'm just speaking strictly from experience. I would never, ever, ever imagine I would have to write a functional specification that tells the developers how to build something. I will tell them what I want built. I will never tell them how to do it because I'm smarter than developers in that particular niche where I understand what needs to be done, what is the problem, what is the solution, what the customers want, uh, what the business owner wants, what business wants, uh, right? And notice how I say what, I always say what they want, what needs to be built because I'm responsible as a product manager, I'm responsible for what now, when I hand it over to developers, they're way smarter than me, or solution architects and developers and tech leads. They're way smarter than me in terms of how to achieve that. They know way more than I do. I have a very basic understanding of things because I need to, but if you ask me to write code, I wouldn't, and I won't, and I can't. And that's because they are the smart people in the room who are smarter than me, who will tell me, hey, Vlad, we think we're gonna approach it from this direction, but if if something goes off, we have an alternative way. And I said, yeah, build a proof concept, build something that will help you determine what's the right way to approach it, and that's how things work. I decide what needs to be built in conjunction with business, in conjunction to with uh, UX. Then UX and developers and solution architects will go back to the drawing board and tell me how they're gonna build it. All I need to do is I need to look at their sol- proposed solution and see if it does the what, if it solves the problem I came to them with. If I came to them, uh, if I came to development with a problem, hey, I need, um, I don't know, I need a chat, and they come back to me and giving me, uh, I don't know, a flight simulator, well, probably not looking at the same thing. But if I came to them and told them, hey, I need a flight simulator, and they gave me a flight simulator, that has one plane today, but they will be able to scale it in the next couple of years to add other planes. Awesome. That's what I was looking for. So with that said, a little bit about the, <laughs> the interviews and uh, and the approach and obsession with tools and some of the artifacts don't do PRDs. They are the abomination of uh, product management world. Sometimes you have to for documentation purposes. Sometimes you have to for Audit and legal and compliance purposes. I've seen those things. They do happen, but uh, don't expect to build anything. Don't expect to to build the actual product off of a single PRD. I think it's unreasonable. I think it's bad for business, and it doesn't make. It, it's not going to make anybody happy. It's just waste of time, effort, money, and uh, they mentioned Waste of time. Yes. So. That is it for today. Hopefully I'll be able to continue doing this. Hopefully it's gonna be a video. I'll be able to edit this. I've never done this before. It's gonna be my first time. So at least there's that. There's podcast, there's video. Let me know uh, if there are any questions, if there are any ideas, uh, if there are any people you want me to bring in, type of people, obviously I can't bring Bill Gates to talk about his uh, marital problems, but uh, we might be able to bring in people who work in a specific industry, specific areas we have a lot of talented people in the company. Uh, There's a lot of talented people on uh, Reddit, off Reddit, on LinkedIn. So we'll be able to talk to them and uh, we'll be able to bring them in and interview them same way we did before. So hopefully that's uh, it. Thank you all for watching, listening, and uh, see you later. You've been listening to the Real World Product Management and I've been your host, Vlad Grubman.